Want to find out how to go from broke to multimillionaire and to be wealthy at any income? Stay tuned. Welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that inspire you to get your story told. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com. And while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. Now sit back, get ready to take some notes, and let's get started. This episode of Leap Into Your Story podcast is brought to you by Leap Into Your Story course. Visit leapintoyourstory.com where you have a guide to get your story told. I'm Victoria Anderson, and welcome to the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insight that will inspire you to leap into your own story. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com. While you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. In this episode, we're going to learn about wealth on any budget. My guest is Rennie Gabriel. He is a wealth educator, TEDx speaker, philanthropist, and award-winning best-selling author of the book, Wealth on Any Income, which has been translated into eight languages. He's planning to share how he went from broke at 50 to multi-millionaire after learning the secrets of the wealthy. He donates 100% of his profits from his online programs to rescue dogs and soldier causes. So, Rennie, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Victoria. And it's funny, you, you gave the name of your podcast so quickly. If I didn't know it was Leap to Your Story, <laughs> I wouldn't know. That's it. <laughs> well, I'm all about stories. And, you know, my passion is getting stories into books. So before we dive into some questions about your subject matter. Let's leap into your story and find out what prompted you to write your book. Um, sure. It, the, um, it, it, I, you know, the expression, we teach what we most want to learn. Well, I struggled with money all my life. I never felt until in my 40s that I had learned the foundations of handling money effectively at all hadn't learned budgeting skills, spending plans, or any of the rest. And the most frightening part about that was I was certified as a financial planner, and it wasn't in my coursework. So I searched and searched and searched, found it, it worked. And then because, like I said, I struggled with money almost all my life, and, and I'd been doing workshops for 10 years supporting other people to learn this information. And I said, you know what? The same questions come up over and over again. I'm just going to put everything in a book 
and then people will leave me alone and I won't have to talk to them directly. And, you know, that's the best idea. I'll put it all into a book and people will leave me alone. Tells you how little I knew at the time. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I had it silenced. <laughs> what was it? Uh, it's one of my phones ringing. <laughs> oh, okay. I always, there's some, I'm usually pretty good at quieting them up, but yeah, today missed that mark. So sorry about that. Continue. Okay. <laughs> so. So anyway, so I, I wrote the book so people would leave me alone. And obviously I didn't understand the way it works when you write a book and become an author. Wow. Yeah. That's how it goes. Now we have sirens going by. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear them. No, cannot hear them. No. Okay, good to know because they were pretty loud. <laughs> oh, well, let me ask you this. I have a fan going and I want to be sure that that's not being picked up on my end. No, I can't hear that. So okay, we're perfect. good. <laughs> that's that's okay. These things happen. Um, okay, where should it's I? It's real. It's real real stuff that life that's just kind of um you know the metaphor for you're doing something you love and stuff gets in the way yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just keep rolling through it right <laughs> yep so where would you like me to pick up or do i need to well um let's go ahead so let's take take us on i know you said you were having financials you didn't kind of um it didn't quite click and you were uh, until you're like 50s and you were training all these folks on financial planning, but you yourself um, kind of struggled with that. So what was your moment where you realized that, you know, this wasn't working out? I understand that you did manage to figure it out and put a book in, but where was your kind of your life pivoting moment where you went from realizing that, you know, training people and not really finding the success to it all coming together and writing the book? What happened in between there? I'd say one of the pivotal moments of my recognition that things weren't working out uh, was with my first wife. We were sitting at a place that provides uh, loans. We were getting a loan of like $1,700. And what we had to do was sign documents that gave them permission to take everything we owned, our furniture, our computers, you name it, if we didn't pay back $1,700. Oh, wow. It was such an embarrassment. I, I felt like crawling in a hole, like, this has got to be the lowest. Actually, you'd think that was the lowest point, and it was. But there was a time where I was so broke, I collected soda bottles and cans to get the refund money to buy food for my family. And that wasn't the lowest point. Having to, to collateralize everything we owned for $1,700, that was the lowest point. Wow. Wow. And so what were some of the things that were going through your mind or what were you telling yourself? 
Um, I was telling myself, obviously, what I, what I was doing wasn't working. And I say I versus my wife and I. Uh, it turns out my wife and I did not have compatible financial values. Um, there, we went into marriage counseling when she said she wanted a divorce. And the therapist uh, actually said to me privately, after my wife dropped out of the therapy, uh, she said, you know, Rennie, you really don't have a marriage here. You don't have a partner in this life. Let me explain the things that you don't understand which she did. And I realized, oh my gosh, she's right. I should get out of this marriage. And my wife asked for a divorce. Yeah, I think you're right. That makes the most sense. And it was after that, I realized um, how incompatible our financial values were. And that's when I was able to start fixing things. So now, now that we know a little bit about you, your journey, and what was your turning point that inspired your book, let's talk about what's in your book. Let's go into some of the, uh, the golden nuggets from that, because you talk about it's, there's, there's myths and why people believe money might not be so good and you know what how does that play into the ability to earn wealth um it, it's significant because if we don't know what our emotional blocks are then they could get or i could give or you could have the greatest tips and techniques in the world for creating wealth and it won't even get utilized and so the way i structured the book was based on workshops I had been doing for 10 years. And I found out what wasn't working well and what was working excellent. And that's how I organized the book. And what I'm getting at is that the first third of the book is all about the emotional attitudes and the belief systems people have that get in the way of creating wealth and the actions they can take to overcome those blocks. As a good example, people feel that they need to get rid of credit card debt before they can create wealth. And that is completely wrong. And I hear it from accountants. I hear it from other financial gurus. And the problem with that is I have seen people who focus on paying off debt and that's their primary focus. And they get rid of the debt and the car breaks down or the water heater breaks and, and the debt returns. And they go through this cycle over and over again. And they find themselves at age 65, where now they have no debt and they have nothing else. Yeah, Victoria, can I put you on the spot? Sure. Okay. So let's say that you have no debt. You have no car loans. You have no credit card debt. You don't even have a mortgage. Would you have financial freedom? Would you have the ability to not work? No. Right. What's missing from this, this conversation? Well, even though you don't have debt, there's always going to be expenses. And like you said, some fixed expenses, um, like utilities and food, but yep. also, you're, like you mentioned it, those really big unexpected ones that 
you know, maybe it's not even smart to pay those off over cash. Because I will tell you, I'm one of those people who was used to paying off my card and then something would happen. So you're kind of speaking to me. And um, I realized, like you says, you're on almost like this treadmill. Yes. And, it's, and it feels so, like a financial treadmill. And, you know, I started to learn the difference between like healthy debt, which is building your interest or building your business. You know, you do have the flexibility, especially with companies, if you are, you know, building even um, business accounts to have, you know, lower interest doesn't necessarily have to be a credit card, but, you know, say credit cards like 12%. But if I order some electronic equipment for my business and I have a business account, well, they may give me a 3% loan. I mean, (laughs) it it doesn't make, I mean, that's almost like they're paying me to take their stuff, you know, with the interest rates that normal credit card um, debt, usually carry. So I've learned the hard way, (laughs) the long way, but yeah, but at least I did come to some uh, rationalization that the treadmill wasn't working for me. And, And you're absolutely right that people go through this treadmill kind of situation. It comes in, it goes out, the debt is paid off, the debt comes back. And when we, and you're right, because if you just have no debt, it doesn't mean you have the money to buy groceries or pay utilities. And even if you have a house with no mortgage, there's still uh, property taxes and other, you know, fuel for your car. You need an income. So unless you've created assets that are generating that income, whether it's a business, whether it's investments, uh, stocks, bonds, real estate, it doesn't make any difference. Unless you have those assets generating an income, you still have to work for a living. Right. And And something else I had learned, and I don't know if how much you go into the mindset, but when you're always worried about putting stuff on debt, it's like in a restrictive energy. Yes. And And I found out that if I worry about even say throwing something on the credit card for 8% or 9% interest, it blocks the flow of where my business wants to go. Yes. And, and the way that I learned that is, you know, finally understanding there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. And the bad debt is like, you know, financing a big screen TV or some consumer purchase, uh, you know, carrying, you know, a meal on your credit card from one month to the next. That's bad debt. But good debt creates wealth. As an example, I put a small down payment on an apartment building. The bank gives me a low interest loan, like for your business, for the more for a mortgage, you know, maybe it's three, four, 5%. And I'm not even paying that debt. It's coming from the rent the tenants are paying. And there's money left over. I've used good debt to create wealth. And that's really the secret to how I became a millionaire. And it was through buying investment real estate, where the tenants made the payments for me, and their, their rent payments were larger than the payments I had to make to the bank, larger than the, the taxes I had to pay on the property. And that, that gave me the cash flow so I could choose to work instead of having to work. Right. So, you know, getting back to what's in the book, the first third of it 
is the emotional stuff that's in the way that people need to overcome. And then the latter two thirds are the tips, tips and techniques. And one of the things I keyed on was when you said, you know, the, res the restriction you feel. Right. And so one of the things I don't talk about is a budget. Because when you talk about budget, it's like talking about a diet. What are the first, what are the first three letters of the word diet? Die. Yeah, <laughs> not too enrolling. And so rather than talking about a budget where people feel restriction and lack and sacrifice and deprivation, I talk about a spending plan instead. Let's spend money in alignment with the goals you want to achieve, which means you also have to write down those goals. You need to be conscious of the goals you want to achieve so that your spending plan can be in alignment with them. Yeah, I, I think that's important. I'll, I'll be guilty. I haven't done that in a while, while because uh, I'm a multi-stream income gal and I've been pulled in many directions, but that is part of my July goal is to get back on track because I... Uh, realize something there was, I can't remember who was preaching this, but it was really good. And this is be sure to write down not only goals, but be specific. And that's something I did this year, like this goal, I'm going to accomplish by this month. And I just happened, this was back in January. And I realized that I accomplished 80% of that. And there is, um, I forgot the name of the author who talks about the power of putting down something on paper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have. And, I've, yes. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. that is. That is so true. Spinning it around in your head is yes. not going to lead to the success that you want. When you put it down on paper, you're transferring it from your head into the reality of the world. Right. And one of the other key things that you said was having a date for that goal. You yes. could have any dream that there is, but when you assign a date to it, you're making it real for the universe. Exactly. And the way that this particular um, person had described it is there's some science behind that because, you know, we're all programmed by our unconscious. Yes. And when you put it down on paper, it's visually coming back automatically recording in the subconscious. And then the subconscious goes to work. Mm -hmm. It makes that and goes to work. So. You're, ab <laughs> you're absolutely right. That's where the power is. The power is having your subconscious running the show exactly. in positive ways. Right. Because it usually runs uh, the opposite, especially yes. with all the negative money programming that's been embedded that we don't really know. I mean, it could be, you know, family history. And just, I had to undo a lot of my programming because there had been so much talk about money and lack of money, which was kind of odd because my parents, they weren't, they had struggled in their early years, but even when they were financially okay, they had this fear um, about not having money. I, I, I can understand your parents' situation because right. um, at this point in my life, we have reserves 
that would carry us for two years if not one of our tenants paid rent or none of our investments paid dividends out of the insecurity from my past when you know I couldn't afford to develop a roll of film from my camera. Uh, and so, yeah, so those things stick with you and they, they show up differently. Obviously, you know, uh, we don't even have film for cameras anymore. <laughs> but I still want to make sure I have enough money to do absolutely anything if everything goes wrong. And the best example, what ended up reinforcing that concern and having those reserves was the pandemic. Right. The pandemic hit. And I looked and said to my wife, you know what, if none of the tenants pay rent, and we've got lot, you know, dozens of tenants, if none of our investments pay an income, we can still go for the next two years and pay all our bills with no income. And that gave me a sense of security. And the funniest part about it is 100% of our tenants paid 100% of their rent through the entire pandemic and not one investment deferred a payment. Wow. So, you know, so it's a mismatch between my programming and my fears and the reality, and, but I'm okay with it. Right. Well, I think that's a great, I don't know, you might want to run a, a disaster plan. I mean, <laughs> people that I think that's a great idea because 10 years ago, I, I had one of those moments where it was a perfect storm and we really didn't know we were carrying two mortgages. Um, I was um, not in the greatest health. So we had one income earner down on top of all that. And I think, I mean, the, the bottom story is we, we got out of it. We managed. Um, so when the pandemic hit and my husband was out of work you know, I thought, we've been there and we've been in their worst situations. So we kind of unintentionally had like, well, what happens if, you know, everything shuts down and we have no income coming in? What do we do? And we kind of did an evaluation of that whole thing, but that's probably a good idea. I mean, most um, mindset or wealth um, coaching is, you know, start, start for where you want to be but maybe you should start from what happens if it all goes south and yeah. work backwards. Cause you always, you know, where you want to be, work, work backwards, but Hey, that can be a good uh, maybe program for you to disaster planning uh, 101. You know, <laughs> what happens when everything goes away, work backwards and start planning, you know, that way too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I made a note. You, you see, I turned my head away from you Yes. I was making a note saying, mm, Victoria suggested a program on a disaster plan. I think you'd be the perfect person. For that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it was funny too, because, you know, you talk about the programming and I was talking to a client yesterday who said he had uh, given a hundred dollars to a server who was trying to raise money for a friend of hers who was suffering from leukemia and needed money for the cancer treatments. And so she was going to be doing a fundraiser as well as other friends to help this mutual friend. And he said, 
on the one hand, he felt good that he was in the position to give her a hundred dollars. Um, and on the other hand, he was saying, but this programming was running. I could hear my mother saying, why are you doing that? Can you afford to do that? I mean, money doesn't grow on trees. And he was hearing his mother talking to him, you know, in the background about when he's doing this and he wasn't able to fully appreciate the fact that he was in a position to do it. Yes. <clears throat> yes. I, I know that that's some hard programming, especially um, if it's been running a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you just learn to just, I, I learned this magic word, stop. Just when it's running, stop. That, and, uh, and go the opposite, start thinking the opposite. Well, if this can go wrong, well, what can go right? Yes. And you reminded me of a five minute uh, psych psychology session uh, Bob Newhart had. It was a clip where he says he charges $5 and it's only five minutes. And there's no refunds. <laughs> and the thing was, the, the lady said, well, here's what happens. I get these thoughts about it. And he said, okay, stop it. <laughs> that was the answer. Yeah. And she was offended. And it was less than five minutes. And, and so uh, he said, well, you know, it's less than five minutes. We're done. And she <laughs> goes, but you still want $5. She says, that's right. And she goes, Oh, I want to use the rest of the five minutes. So she gave him another problem. They said, okay, stop it. <laughs> and it was just a hysterical bit. And it reminded me of exactly what I wanted to tell my wife the other night. And I couldn't remember what it was. And it's there that Bob Hart segment, Bob Newhart, Bob Newhart segment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a, there was, I think a lot of his own, rawness in that show yeah um I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that's something he practiced and says <laughs> let's just make a segment out of it <laughs> exactly and, and you know that's where the comedy comes from for most comedians it's from their life experiences yes yes but he was the master i love that show there was oh, a yeah. lot of good information in there but, and, uh, and I had the chance to meet him and actually sit at one of the um, where the, 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 the people in the show read the script and do a run through. Oh, wow. Because one of my clients was on that show. Nice. And so I got to sit down and meet Bob Hart and sit in with one of their run throughs. He's, he's just such a nice man. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met him, but I can, he, he transcends that, you know, yes. across the screen. I mean, there's, uh, back when I was in LA, I had, um, an antique store with, uh, that was kind of in the Shishi area, right? This oh, I remember we talked yeah. about it on Ventura yes, Boulevard. So yes. I had quite a few, uh, A-list celebrities and some old timers and, you know, the, the ones where I always felt like they transcended that goodness beyond the screen well, those were confirmed. And there was a few who I'm like, not so good. Those got confirmed too. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. But yeah, he's one of those guys where I wouldn't have any doubt that um, he was a good guy in person too. Yeah. So no. we veered off a little bit, but a little bit. Yeah, fun. that happens occasionally, but that's okay. 
was all back to the stock yeah. and the mindset, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll just bring it back. We'll just bring yeah. it back. Okay. So <laughs> you mentioned, you know, that I learned the, the secrets of the wealthy and yes. it's really simple. And there's three of them that are the key. Um, and I didn't realize this until I had become wealthy. When I looked back, I could see what those three secrets were. So this is for the folks before they become wealthy to know exactly what to work on. And the first one, and, to, and let me do this. I'll give you an acronym for it. The acronym would be AFI for the three secrets. It's attitude forms and investments, AFI. And some people think, AFI, oh, oh, American Film Institute. That's how you create wealth. No, no, has nothing to do with <laughs> Yeah, they're with like, that. there's the new heart connection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I, I, we're able to pull it together. Not really, but we'll make believe. So anyway, so the A stands for attitude. And that's what we've been talking about to begin with. It's the mindset. And the wealthy actually think differently than ordinary people. And a good example would be using debt to create wealth. And I'll give you one more example. When you hear something familiar, you might make a statement like, I've heard that before. That's not new to me. So I'm actually going to put you on the spot again. Okay. Have you heard the expression, pay yourself first? I have. Yes. Now, can you explain it to me? You know, outside of running a business, that'd be a little bit hard. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have the concept. You're supposed to t pay yourself first, but that's kind of difficult, especially if you have, you know, expenses that you need to tend to. And and I'm so glad it's not clear for you because it's a perfect example of how it's not clear for nine out of ten people who say, I've heard it before. Because it's not about getting a paycheck from your business. It's not about dealing with your expenses first. It's about treating yourself like you matter. And you must be the first one to get the money. And here's the key, a portion of paying yourself first, you keep for the rest of your life and only use it to make investments that'll create the income so you can choose to work instead of have to work. That is the key to creating wealth. And now this secret is 5,000 years old. It was written about over 100 years ago in the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. And I know of people who've read the book and aren't doing it. I myself read the book three times before I could finally put it into practice at age 50. I had done it a few times before. I didn't stay with the habit. But when I'm age 50 and broke and looking at the possibility that 15 years down the line, I could be eating cat food instead of tuna, I realized I've got to put it together now. This is the time where I can't give up on it and really have to do it. Now, at this time, by the way, I'm only earning $5,000 a month. I'm not earning a lot of money. But I set aside $500 a month, regardless of what the expenses were. And I couldn't pay all my expenses in full, but I put away that $500 a month. And in three years, 
this is pathetic. But in three years, I'm age 53 and I've saved up a whopping $18,000. I'm a 53-year-old married man with a total of $18,000 to my name. Wow. But my third wife had a realtor that she was working with and he found this little three-unit building that he suggested I buy. Well, $18,000 is not enough of a down payment for rental real estate in Los Angeles. And I don't care when it was. So my wife said, well, I'll, I'll add $18,000. And the realtor said, this is such a good deal. I'll contribute $36,000. Wow. And so the three of us purchased that triplex. And the key to this is that I created the expression wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport. I didn't build this multi-million dollar real estate portfolio by myself. I did it with my wife and the realtor. And in five years, we went from that three unit purchase to 50, five zero units wow. we owned and managed. Wow. Because we did it as a team. And I used the other concept we spoke about. I borrowed money to make down payments on more apartment buildings with my wife and the realtor. Wow. So in the five years from age 53 to 58, I went from nearly broke because, well, I had $18,000 at age 53 <laughs> to multi-millions. Now that would have been enough for cat food maybe, but not for... <laughs> <laughs> that right. I could have, not, that, that wasn't your goal. Right. Um, I don't know if, if you've seen the price of cat food. I don't know. <laughs> These days, uh, that may not even have been enough for cat food. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is it cheaper or more expensive than tuna? I, I don't know anymore. I think they're running about the same. I mean, my feline, she likes her fancy feast that and not just like the 90 cent can one, the dollar 20, the dollar 31. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I mean, I don't know. I think that they're running about neck and neck now between tuna and cat food. <laughs> okay. Well, then, you know, maybe I should be buying salmon or something. I salmon, yes. Maybe I should change my analogy. But the reality is I was coming from near desperation at age 50. Right. You know, just projecting 15 years down the road, where am I going to be if I don't get my act together? And, and I guess that's another thing that's important is to understand it's never too late. Right. You know, and I've got a I've got a client who at 65 got divorced and was a quarter of a million dollars in debt after his divorce and now has a couple million dollar net worth. Wow. So, again, doesn't matter if you're 50, 55, 60, 65 or even 70, it's never too late. Good to know. Okay. So, so paying attitude. yourself. Yeah. So, so, so paying covered yourself a for attitude. Yes, is okay. in essence that any money coming in, you should take a part of that and only set aside for investing regardless of what your expenses are. That's correct. And something else I learned that I thought if I just earned more money, I would handle the shortfalls in my expenses and I was wrong. 
the key is to focus on reducing expenses first and then growing income second. Because I started, I was earning like 13,000 a year, I was short 200 a month. By the time I was earning over 100,000 a year, I was short 2,000 a month. Earning more money was not the key until I learned how to handle the expenses first. And when I did that, I eliminated that 24,000 a year of shortfall and my income jumped by 50,000. So, you know, another attitude of the wealthy is focus on the expenses first and grow income second. That's, that's a good tip. So now we can move on to the second one. F, yes. Performs. And what I'm getting at is, you know, you and I might know how to fill out a balance sheet and list our assets and expenses, you know, our, excuse me, our assets and our liabilities. But what a wealthy person does is they look at those items differently. And a lot of people, including your CPA, might tell you your house is an asset and it's not. And the reason it's not an asset is it doesn't generate an income. It sucks up expenses. You've got property taxes, you've got maintenance and repairs, you've got utilities. And unless you're using it for Airbnb, it isn't generating an income. And so what I'm getting at is a wealthy person understands that. The real estate that is an asset is the real estate they rent out. It's not the real estate they live in. So they look at a balance sheet differently. And when it comes to the debts, again, are they good debts or are they bad debts? The fact I've got or had, I don't have millions of dollars in mortgages anymore because a lot of this stuff has been reduced. But the point is when they look at the balance sheet and they see mortgage debt, they're not concerned about it because the fact that it's a debt, it helped create their wealth. So they look at these forms differently. And I spoke earlier about the difference between a budget and a spending plan. Again, they look at that differently. Are the, are, is money flowing out in areas that are going to add to their wealth? Or is money flowing out in areas that just is a part of living? So the forms are looked at differently. And the last item, I, the investments, a lot of people think the only investments available are stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. And that's not true. The wealthy are not limited to those three things. They have apartment buildings or office buildings. They have oil and gas investments. They might have a board and care facility. They're investing in their own business. They may be uh, financing equipment leasing. Um, gosh, I, I could go through so much stuff except I'm old and I can't remember it all. Uh, there's student housing, there's a self-storage facility. There are so many areas to invest in that are not limited to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And so there's limited partnerships, there's syndications, you know, more stuff comes to me as I give my mind the chance to think, and that's the key. No one is limited to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to create wealth. So that's AFI, attitude, forms, and investments. And it was those three secrets I finally was able to determine after I created wealth. And your listeners can start looking at it ahead of time if they're not already wealthy.
Nice. Well, that is some really good information on that. Um, I think everybody, especially now with um, inflation and other things going up, it's more so more than ever um, is to get serious about building wealth. And it sounds like being that this was based on a book in Babylon, really doesn't matter about the economic situation uh, at some point, because if this is sound going back to Babylon, these principles still work. And yep. there's been a whole lot of worse turmoil than in the world uh, than we've seen. Uh, I mean, it's even though it's a challenge, the it sounds like the moral to the story is work on these three items and kind of fireproof yourself from everything going out, you know, around you. Yeah. And you now, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book, The Richest Man in, uh, the Richest Man in Babylon, was the fact that they'd actually translated uh, hieroglyphics and clay tablets wow. they discovered when the city of Babylon was excavated. And so they were really literally able to trace the life of someone from 5,000 years earlier. Hmm. And the advantage to that and the disadvantage both is that human beings have not evolved in the last 5,000 years. Hmm. We are the same as when I read this from 5,000 years ago as we are today. So take into consideration if people haven't changed in 5,000 years, concepts that worked 5,000 years ago will still be working today. That is good to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, one last question. Okay. Where can we find more about you? Oh, easy. Um, my book, Wealth on Any Income, is available through Amazon or better through my website, because then 100% of the price can go to charity. Um, if they want to see my TEDx talk that you spoke about, they can go to wealthonanyincome.com forward slash TEDx. And not only can they see my TEDx talk, they can get a nine-step roadmap with a 27-page explanation that will lead to complete financial choice and philanthropy. And my goal is to raise philanthropists. It's not just about creating wealth for ourselves, but it's about creating wealth to transform the planet. Right. Keep the, keep the torch going. Yes. So, well, well, I want to thank you for sharing your fantastic insights with us today. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it so you can be guided to your journey to writing your story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. We are looking forward to seeing you next time here on the Leap Into Your Story podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast. 
where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like to us via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time on the Leap Into Your Story podcast.